I'm Friedel. And I'm Andrew. And welcome to the Traveling To Radio Show. And tonight the show is coming to you from Istanbul. And we're getting our feet under us here in Turkey. So we're going to share a few tips on Istanbul with you. As well as dem- demonstrating a wonderful bike horn that we just picked up. You won't believe this horn. It is just so incredibly loud. It's fantastic if you're driving on the roads in Turkey. And I'm sure it'll come in handy as we go further east. And we're also going to share an interview with you that we did with a couple from Australia who we met in Germany and talking about some of their trip through Europe. So here we go. On with the show. Well, I guess we can start just by describing some of the surroundings that we see as we record this show for you. So we're in Istanbul. We're basically on the still in Europe, and we're basically down the down by the dockside, uh, next between a couple of ferry terminals. And I mean, every few minutes, you know, hordes of people are piling off. Hordes of people people are piling on, and in the middle of this, you have fishermen everywhere. Every every two meters you have them just crammed in all fishing little fish not much bigger than sardines no. certainly not as big as a mackerel no and uh just catching bucket loads of them i don't know if they actually eat them we were talking to a friend of ours the other night and uh, she lives in istanbul she's a turk and she said that 10 years ago these waters around the golden horn were so polluted you couldn't fish there were no fish and they've cleaned them up a lot since and so now everyone's come down and started fishing you can come down here almost any time of day and fishermen are just everywhere yeah and also a very interesting thing is um there's these boats that are being docked halfway between two two of the ports and they're serving food off them it's not they're they basically have two two grills on them they're bouncing up and down the waves it's pretty windy tonight and boats are going by and they're just throwing them all over the place. These are little tiny boats, you know, tugboat size. Oh, a lot smaller than tugboats. <laughs> I mean... Theodore tugboat size. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe Theodore tugboat size. <laughs> but there's two guys, three guys on there right now, you know, just, just cooking up a storm. I'm mostly fish, I can tell from here. And then on the on this side of the dock, they've got a little table set up and you go up and you make, it, make your order and get your fish right off the boat. Yeah, I don't know how they cook, though. It is really just incredible. In fact, we'll put a video on our site. The sea legs these guys have, it's just fantastic. I mean, if it were me, well, the food would be sliding off the grill for one thing. Into the water. But I would also have my head over the side of the boat. I'm (laughs) sure I would. (laughs) So we're just enjoying sitting down here and then watching them. And We've tried out a fish sandwich, which was pretty tasty. Yeah, it was really good, actually. I think we might go back, back for some more. Yeah, we've had a little bit of a... A trial finding good food in Istanbul because we got wow. a hotel in a very touristy area, and of course, we knew that we shouldn't go to the restaurants right around our hotel. But you're tired, you're hungry, you go to the nearest spot, and it's just been rubbish for the most part. Yeah, we've been having some problems trying to find something you know decent, cheapish, and yeah. yeah. So if you do have a hotel in Sultanahmet, which is where a lot of the hotels are. Uh, it really will help if you just take a few steps outside your neighborhood and uh, go explore a little bit. For example, we went over near the Galata Tower today, and there we had a wonderful meal at lunchtime for a fraction of the price of what we paid around our hotel. And down here by the dock, you can get little sandwiches with a, a fillet of mackerel and salad and a little bottle of cola for three Turkish lira, which is not quite two euros. Yeah, a little under two. So we've made a breakthrough on the food front, and therefore we're much happier cyclists. Much happier, yes. (laughs) We'll be here for a few more days since uh, we're trying to organize and get everything sorted with visas. And we've been doing the the gauntlet of runs uh, between uh, the Iranian, the Syrian, and trying to find the Pakistani uh, embassies or consulates. It's really been... uh, 
It's been interesting trying to run around. And it takes so much time. We've been here three days and we've hardly seen any of the tourist sites who've just run around between consulates and some of them need letters of recommendation from your home country and Andrew's just going ooh and pointing here. <laughs> I, I think the boat almost went under. The... A ferry just went past our little fishing boat restaurant and it nearly took a tip from one of the waves. <laughs> anyway, enough of us rambling on about Istanbul for the moment. I suppose we should share an interview with you that we did on the road in Passau, Germany a couple months ago. Yeah, we met a nice little couple uh, who basically a few years ago started cycling and got into touring and we met them uh, on the uh, in Passau. Yeah, and they're from Australia, and they were doing a trip from Amsterdam all the way down to Vienna. And the really interesting thing is they started cycle touring a little bit later in life. So it kind of contradicts the theory that, you know, you have to be young to cycle tour or to even attempt it because they started nearer to retirement age, and they're just having a blast. So the couple's name is Marge and Peter. Now, Peter got all shy during the interview and ran away. So uh, the interview is just with Marge. Here she is. My name is Marge Skiss and I'm with my husband Peter and we're from Wanfaggy in Victoria, Australia and this is a, a sort of a, a trial run if you like to say bef- as we start to spend our kids inheritance. So we're near retirement age and we thought we'd try cycling in Europe. We cycled in Britain last year and we liked it and we survived. Uh, with each other too because sometimes when you're working when you're cycling and spending all your time 24 hours together it can be quite um, testing on each other's character so we thought well okay we'll um, worked in England we'll try Europe and see what it was like so we bought our bike Fridays just for our first adventure and liked them and, and enjoyed them so we use those and we take them with us and brought them across to Europe and we came to Amsterdam and spent a few days with a contact that we had from the Bike Friday um, that we knew from the um, just the, the club of Bike Friday. And just to explain what a Bike Friday is for people who might not yes. know what it is, it's actually a, a folding bike. It is a folding bike. The bike actually folds into a large suitcase, which is not so big that it won't that you can't take it with you just as ordinary luggage. So our bike folds up into the suitcase. And it meets the requirements. It weighs about 20 kilos, which is what you is about the max you can take out of Australia, 20, 25 kilo in your luggage. So we put our bike, for, fold them up, pull them apart, take the wheels off and fold them up so that they go into the case and they'll get through customs and uh, luggage inspections okay. And then the rest of, the, of our stuff we take as hand luggage, which in Australia you're only allowed 7 kilos. So into our hand luggage we actually fit... Our tent, our lalo, uh, sleeping mats, our sleeping bags, and our cooking equipment, plus a change of clothes. It's pretty minimal clothing. I'm amazed that you're able to fit this all in as hand luggage. (laughs) (laughs) And we carry that as hand luggage. We also carry a small um, little bag, roll-up bag, which we can use um, once we get into the country to transport our bags for trains and buses and things like that so we carry those with us all the time and we leave our cases at somewhere um, in uh, Amsterdam we left them with our friend our cases and just took our uh, roll-up bags that are very small but yet we can actually pack our bikes into them and transport them if we had to so if we were do traveling you, do you actually need a special bag to pack no, your bike Fridays in or could no, you put them in did, any sort of suitcase or? no it, this is a soft just a soft um, bag 
that like a vinyl bag that just it's good quality that rolls up into a very small tight little um, six inch roll I guess that um, we can carry with us but if we had to put it fold it up and put it onto a bus or a train we could do that and that's the idea that when we reach Vienna if we have to fold up our bikes we can actually take it onto the train as luggage just as ordinary mm-hmm. luggage that you and anybody else would take on as their own personal luggage and so at the moment you're doing a trip from Amsterdam all the yep. way to Vienna yes yes so we've come from Amsterdam um, and ridden down the Rhine River to Mainz once we got to Mainz we then followed the main river and then at Bamberg we then came down the Danube Canal uh, to connect up with the Danube River at Kemblen so we connected up um, with the Danube River and we'll follow the Danube through we expect that we'll ride about 1400 kilometres by the time we've ridden the four different rivers that's not bad for a couple of uh, just started cycle touring not so long ago <laughs> well th- that's true because i'm actually 60 and peter's 63 so we reckon that that's pretty good and we thought well we'll try it out because um we'll probably retire in about 12 months time and then we intend to come across and, and spend about three months um, you know however whatever we find at the time in europe just cycling around enjoying the countryside and uh, doing what we should have done when we were a lot younger. Were you intimidated <laughs> to take it up at, at the age that you are? Because everyone says to us, oh, it's great that you're so young and you're doing it while you're young, as if when you hit, I don't know, some mythical age that you can't possibly get on a bike and ride a great distance. Look, it, 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 it was something that should, we should have started long ago, but in the mid-50s we started walking because I thought that I wasn't fit enough with my job as a school principal. I thought that I was spending too much time, too long a day, 12 hours a day and not enough time exercising when I like to be fit and active. So we started walking and then I thought, well, I didn't like walking very much, too hard on the knees and the feet, so I thought there's got to be an easy way. So we went into got just ordinary bikes and started bike riding. And then from there we started to meet people who also were into bike riding and riding trails, etc. And it just snowballed from there. And to my amazement, I found that there's just another world out there of the biking fraternity, which I just didn't know existed before. So I started talking about the biking fraternity and just how much fun it was to my fellow colleagues. And I've been surprised at the number of colleagues who have actually taken up bike riding perhaps through my enthusiasm and and what I've been doing and them finding by me saying well look you know um, we've ridden in England and now we're going to Europe and riding the Rhine and the Danube and they're all saying oh if you can do it you know we should be able to do it too because you know I'm sort of a little bit older than some of my fellow colleagues so I've, I've really been pleased at the enthusiasm and response and the same when we've been riding everywhere ourselves that everyone is just so great and terrific and helpful and supportive. We've found too through the Bike Friday Club that there's been youngish people, you know, um, people who have um, sort of reached their 30s and 40s and decided to travel around the world riding their bikes and, you know, just come back to a job later on and, and ourselves who have reached retirement age and have just decided that this is what we want to do, visiting other countries and and doing a little bit of sightseeing and a little bit of bike riding, a combination of everything. So it's been great. I just, as I say, for my own children, I'm going to encourage them to do it much earlier in life than what 
we've left it to. What are your impressions so far of the trip you've done this time from Amsterdam south to where we are now at Passau? Because the, we've done the bit that you're going to be doing in the next few days from Vienna to Passau, and so far our thoughts have been that it's quite an easy ride. If someone was just starting out, it would be a good it, first trip. Be, it would be an excellent first trip, an excellent one, because we did England and we did Cornwall and Devon, and, and, and we were just stunned at how steep the hills were. And everyone we say said, oh, yeah, how ambitious we were. But we enjoyed that and thought it was terrific. And so this is a breeze. This is really good. You know, we can we could do 100 k's a day if we wanted to, but we'd be too exhausted and it'd take out the enjoyment and the fun of it. So we average 60 to 70 because we know that's within our nice capability range and it gets us into camp reasonably early you know of an evening that you can have a relaxed tea and a shower and um, a restful night we like the camping grounds because we meet people and you get to meet people of all different nationalities we've not found language a problem although we can't speak a word of another language Um, people we can make ourselves understood and people understand what we want to say so that's been helpful and we just love the countryside it's just so old the 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 churches and the houses and that because australia is a very young country only been a couple of hundred years old in comparison the history and the um just the 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 knowledge and the background that europe holds in comparison is just for us wonderful experience in itself and the towns and the density of the population in contrast to australia is another thing of great interest to us one thing I wanted to ask you about was actually touring in Australia because a lot of people who listen to this may be in Europe and it seems the great dream of a lot of Europeans is to go to Australia and experience that. So what can you tell people about Australia as a country to go and ride a bike? Well, Australia, you would have to be very selective where you rode because um, it, it, the distances are huge and immense in Australia, whereas the towns are very close together here and the population is immense. We haven't got a town that compares with what people call a, a, a smallish town here. To us is is huge and what to them is a city is our major capital cities. So you would have to be prepared to ride long distances and so you would have to be selective where you rode. And you were saying also that the campgrounds there are a little bit different than they are here. They are. They're completely different in the respect that you don't need to carry your camping gear at all because you just hire a cabin or a van for the night and they have all their cooking facilities in them. You only have to have your food. You can generally get that in the town where you're at. And mostly what Australians ride are trails, which are originally old railway lines that have been pulled up and then they turn them into trails and so you generally ride those. Drivers in Australia are not courteous. The car rules. Always useful to know. (laughs) The car rules. Um, Even for us we don't like riding on the road very much at all although we've ridden here and haven't had any problems and, and are quite confident riding on the opposite side of the road. In Australia you really have to be experienced to be out on the roads because drivers do not show you the courtesy and there are no no provision on any roads at all for cyclists. They see you as a nuisance. So that's why most people in Australia ride on quiet country roads or on trails because it's much safer. Mm. And coming back to your bike Fridays, you're quite happy with them? Or? Yep, yep. People are amazed. They think that because they've only got little wheels, the 20-inch wheels, that they don't go as fast, but they do. We average 20 k's an hour fully loaded um, and we can do our 60 to 70 k's just as easy it's got 27 gears 
What about the tires themselves? So if you had a problem and you had to replace them, would you be able to get 20-inch tires? Yes, because they're the same size as BMX bikes and and a lot of the ordinary bikes. If you had smaller wheels, you'd have a problem, but a 20-inch is fairly common to come across, as in you'd still be able to get them, so that hasn't been a problem. Uh, But these are very good quality tires that we have. We've probably ridden 2,000 k's and not had a puncture or a... (laughs) Touch wood. (laughs) A a flat. Uh, at any stage at all so we've had no problems with them whatsoever had nothing go wrong and what about all the other kit and gear that you're carrying is there maybe one thing that stands out in your mind as being particularly good or particularly bad I don't know if you um no we 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 really looked into the gear that we're carrying and researched on the internet so we we got a very light tent um you were saying As it weighs weight. about 800 grams? Or? Yep, yep. It's a two-person tent. It's nice and cosy, but it's extremely light. Who makes it? Just in case um, anyone wants to. It's a backpacker, Outer Limit, which makes a lot of the, um, mostly the, um, for walkers or, um, what do you call them? Hikers? Yeah, hikers. Got another name for them, can't think of it. But, yeah, so it could be used on a backpack as well, so it's, it's nice and light. And now we've got the um, very light inflatable mats and the very light um, sleeping bags. And having the little gas cooker, which takes no room at all, and the small cooking um, set as well has been great because you can, you know, cook your evening meal or what we missed in England was not being able to have a cup of tea. So we like our cup of tea, so it's been nice to just, you know, be able to cook something quick and easy and have a a hot drink at the end of the day, which has been really good. So I think this time the only thing that we've missed, which I didn't use in England and I should have put in, I took out the sewing kit because I needed to sew a hem. So next time I'll put in a little sewing kit and a pair of fold-up scissors. Um, We found that we needed those. But other than that, I think we've we've there isn't anything else that we've missed or that we've you know thought well we should have had that we could have done with that we've managed and coped with everything that we've had. And I always like to finish up by asking people if they have any tips because so often after you've been on the road you think gosh if only I'd known that at the beginning or well what advice would you give to other people? I think is to travel as light as possible, stick to the very minimum. Um, we only have a change of clothes if that. Um, and a raincoat because nobody sees you twice you're moving on all the time and do you wash your clothes every night in the campground we do we wash fairly frequently and even if they're still damp I'll carry them with me until I get to the next camp to to completely dry them out or string them on the back sometimes especially the towel just to dry it but we wash regularly and we've, we've just found you don't need excess clothes because as I say, nobody sees you twice. You, you're on the go all the time. So it's just the basics that you need. So we actually have one pannier. We only have four panniers, two each on the back. Um, we have one pannier each for our clothes. And then we have one pannier for our kitchen and one pannier for all the odds and ends that you seem to accumulate and need to have, your toiletries. Um, what else do we have? We've got to have a spare pump and a spare tube and the kit for the tyres in, yeah, yeah. in case you know something happens to the bikes that you've got to have as as well and we also carry the the fold-up bags that we originally had when we arrived that we brought across as our hand luggage and our bags soft bags to fold the bikes up if necessary we also carry that as well and fit them into the four panniers 
So we're experienced packers. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people out there would like to have you come to their yeah. house. And <laughs> I tell you them. what, though, it has to be very, very thorough and, and methodical in the you know when we unpack or when we pack in the mornings. Everything else has to go very tightly packed and, and particular, and just otherwise we wouldn't be able to do it. So um, we seem to be able to manage. And, and the other thing is, we would say, well, we need this, and we need it. No, we don't, because when you're pedalling all day, you don't want to be pedalling with a really heavy pack, and at the end of the day you get pretty tired especially if you're carrying stuff that you're not going to use or don't need so I think the best thing is keep everything to a minimum absolute bare minimum <laughs> and you can survive for six weeks on with four panniers <laughs> if you can survive six weeks yeah. then you can survive a lot longer yes. than that probably <laughs> yeah yeah that's true yeah and the other thing what did we do oh well we found that we needed a lock so we didn't even bring that. We brought um, we bought that in Amsterdam when we arrived. There's a couple of things that we thought were too heavy to bring that we would wait till we got here, and, and which we've bought. So the lock is probably the one thing that we we bought, um, especially because um, nice new shiny bikes are bit, would be a bit tempting to steal. I think in Amsterdam particularly. Yes, I, think I know. A bit of a reputation yes, for that, Amsterdam yeah. does have that, I believe. We spent four days there and we loved it in Amsterdam. But yeah, the bike rules in Amsterdam for sure. <laughs> well, thank you very, very much, and You're good luck getting welcome. to Vienna. Yes, thank you, and likewise for you on your journey of exploration around the world. Who knows where <laughs> yes, we'll end up? We'll see. Yes. <laughs> you might be in Australia one day. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Peter and Marge. We've moved away from the port now, and we're on a street corner on one of Istanbul's main main junctions. Yeah, it's heading up to the, the Blue Moss. And we came down here because we wanted to let you hear just how noisy the streets are. Of course, we came down here sort of in the early evening, and it appears everyone's in the restaurants because there are no cars honking madly. But just trust us that normally driving in Istanbul or Turkey is quite nearful. Yeah, usually... Everybody is honking their horns as uh, as they pass you. Yeah, most of the time it's more like just saying, "Hi, I'm here. How are you doing?" But in the, but in this situation, sometimes it's just best to be able to honk back. Yeah, in the city especially, things can really get manic. No one wants to give you right away, and you just have to hold your rent. And sometimes you need something to get your aggression out. And let's face it, the pathetic little bicycle bells they sell you in Britain or Canada just do not do the trick. So. We found this fantastic horn in a bicycle shop here in Istanbul. So, Andrew, do you want to tell us about the horn? We, we picked it up not too far away from here, and uh, um, it's a little clownish. Uh, it's about I don't know about twenty centimeters long, and uh, it's it's three color horns. Yeah, there are three um, different flutes coming out from it, and um, and a big uh, and a big squeezing unit for uh, to let the sound out. So. Uh, here we go. Now listen, now just imagine before we do this, imagine your typical bicycle belt. A nice polite bring bring. Perfect for Canada. You just wanna let a pedestrian know you're coming through. Yeah, but get in out of the Turkey, way. you wanna tell him you're here. And, so And move your Isn't that fantastic? Wonderful. <laughs> okay, that's enough. That's enough. That's annoying even me. <laughs> Two lira in just about any Istanbul bicycle shop. This is what you need if you're going across the Middle East. It may feature another uh, another podcast as we go through. <laughs> in fact, we've only bought one of these horns, and I think we're going to have a fight over it. So we're just going to have to go back and get another one. Well, that's just about it from us this time, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so we've 
we'll be here for in Istanbul for a few more days, as we said, and um, hopefully we'll be uh, heading around Turkey and uh, into Syria. Yeah, and then on to Iran. We have our Iranian visa. Hey, Yay. hey. <laughs> we didn't know if it was going to happen for a while. Just uh, supposed to be quite difficult sometimes to get them, but we had no problems. So off we go to Iran. Yes. Well, enjoy your cycling if you're in a cooler country. I suppose the last few days of proper cycling are coming, coming along. To a, coming, <laughs> last few days are coming to an end, I guess. And we'll have some cold weather as well as we head further east. It's not all uh, tropical Middle Eastern temperatures. So we will also be getting out our woolly sweaters and hats as we head into Iran and possibly even some snow in Syria. So we'll be sharing your pain. <laughs> See you on the road. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.